where we give you the tools to take you from idea to draft. In this week's workshop, the brilliant Megan Tyler asked if playwriting can be a science. We think you'll enjoy the results. If you're enjoying the series so far, we'd love to hear from you. You can tweet us at Traverse Theatre or email us info at traverse.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe so you can get these workshops straight to your feed as soon as they're released each Wednesday. Part one, introduction. Hello everyone, people of Earth. My name is Megan Tyler and I'm a playwright, actor, theatre making person. And I'm here today to sort of talk to you about playwriting in a way that might be a bit strange, but bear with me, I think it'll be fun. Um, I hope that everyone's okay at home. I know it's been absolutely mad with this lockdown. It's been a really scary time for everyone involved in the arts. If you're a recent graduate or if you're trying to apply to drama school or if you're trying to get your writing built up, I know that you're like, what is the point? But trust me, theatre doesn't die and we will be back. And hopefully this workshop will give you a little bit of something. Um, so my premise for this workshop is, can playwriting be a science? Part two, can playwriting be a science? I know there'll be people sat at home going, what? What have you taken? What are you on? No, you need to pour your heart into it. You need to bleed. You need to weep. You need to be raging with yourself. You need to loathe yourself. I know, I've done all that. But sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes life gets in the way. Sometimes a bloody pandemic gets in the way. And you're prevented from giving your utmost self to everything you need to do for playwriting. So this, since crocodile fever happened, I've thought a lot about the dynamics of playwriting. I've thought about how it could maybe be degraded into equations. Now, this is just a thesis that I'm still working on. This is a hypothetical workshop that I think will just open up some cracks that will open up some new ideas for you guys to look at your plays and just see them in a new light and not drive your mental health like up the walls for a play, do you know? Um, so this is my theory, can playwright and be a science? And I actually think I'm on with something. So let's start. Part three, structure as maths. We all thought we'd left maths behind at say GCSE level but I think it can really help you guys like structure your play if you've got a 45 minute play you are wanting those first four or five minutes four or five pages to really introduce your characters you'll want your audience to sort of get a feel of who they're dealing with and then about page six is when an exciting incident happens either that's a gun that's something that a character does that maybe other characters aren't aware of that the audience are like, oh, oh my, here we go now. If you've got an hour and a half play, that usually happens around like page 10. And with like a two and a half hour play, that usually happens around page 13 or 14. These are sort of the rules, the mathematical rules that I've sort of noticed and taken in having gone to see theatre and writing theatre. I know I definitely have written lots of plays with the exciting incident didn't, didn't happen until bloody page 30 and it was like what are you doing? Why are they just talking at each other for 30 minutes? 
no one's interested in that. Action, the more action you can get, the better. The second part of this in terms of structure is if we take two very, very basic sort of uh, types of theatre, say like comedy and tragedy, and we put them on a graph. So if this is your like duration of play, and this is like positive vibes, bad vibes, do you know? Basically a comedy, those first 10 pages will start off quite comedic, They'll introduce your character, there'll be some positive vibes and then an inciting incident will happen and then it should go down. Like a comedy, the, the funny thing about comedy is what's funny is tragedy. What an audience laughs at is tragedy. Yes, it's heightened and it's comedic, but an audience laughs at tragedy. So you follow, 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 follow that down until you're ending where it should be a big sort of triumphant comedic everybody gets lulls together kind of thing with a tragedy now if you look at plays like streetcar named desire or romeo and juliet a tragedy sort of follows like a comedy for a long period of time because the thing is an audience wants to laugh and if you just sort of hit them hit them hit them with all these tragic things over and over and over again it's going to be too much Whereas if you manage to hit them, get them with laughs, give them a bit of comedy, they'll feel for the characters more. And that means by your interval or by your midway point, which Kieran Hurley says really well in Mouthpiece, you've hit a, a point of hope by the midpoint. By the midpoint, you should hit a point that the audience feels, oh my gosh, this seems great. And then it takes the trajectory down. And then by that stage, you've got your audience on side with your structure and you can lead them into that really sad. If I'm, I'm thinking of Tennessee Williams, I'm thinking of Streetcar. Post the point of uh, Blanche's birthday, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Of course, there's ways of breaking that. And I implore you to break these rules because where would we be without breaking rules? For a simple structure, I think mathematically, these are good things to think of. Part four, language as maths. Yes, language as maths. Now I know from personal experience that maths and English, they, they shouldn't, they don't normally, but they do. If we go way, 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 way back to Shakespeare's time, he practically gave the audience who a character was utilizing maths if you take a Shakespeare character you can put them on this breakdown of their language that shows you how many nouns they say how many verbs they say and how many adjectives they say on top of this you, you can also see how many times they say you and how many times they say I now this might not seem like a lot but from doing Shakespeare in the past and from studying Shakespeare quite a bit, if you've got a character who uses lots of nouns, they're normally quite a practical, quite a matter of fact, kind of this is this and that is that kind of person. If you've got someone who's using lots and lots of verbs, more so than the others, that's an, a person of action, that's a doer, that's someone who's like fueling the play along. If you've got someone who uses a lot of adjectives they're a little bit flowery 
They might be a wee bit romantic, but they're also not that trustworthy. The power of how much you use your nouns, verbs and adjectives in a percentage sense can tell your audience about your character without you spoon feeding them. Also, the amount your character says you or I tells you if they're more self-involved or if they're like a giver, if they're someone who thinks about someone else. And you can do that with the audience's ear using the percentage of your language, which I think is great. On the second thing of that, oh no, I really do. I just think it's amazing that you can like divide your scripts based on your characters percentage wise into what they say. If you're wanting to say that someone is a bastard, have them use I all the time and have them talk in this flowery adjective bit. If you want someone who's, you know, a go-getter, verbs, verbs, because it just says to the audience, oh, 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 it's such a good little trick to use. Now, the second part of this, aside from this, is how you can use percentages for your themes in a play. Now, if you've got lots of themes that you want to hit on in your plays, it sometimes might be a bit like, oh, how do I get this in here without feeling like I'm just like wedging it in? Again, percentages can be your best friend. So <laughs> sometimes you hear yourself, but they can be. Basically, if you've got like five or six themes and you're looking at your play and you're like, how do I rejuvenate this? I, I've got themes that I want to hit on, but I'm not sure how to do that. I'm going to tell you how. So with Crocodile Fever, one thing I learned was, let's say, crocodiles. That's a big theme in Crocodile Fever. It's in the title. Don't know if you guys know. But basically, I did a huge mind map of all the words associated with crocodile. And that was like swamp, crawl, claws, teeth, all these different words. At the same time, Catholicism's really a big theme in Crocodile Fever. So I again went through, was like holy water, exorcism, da, 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 just, and then went back and sat through my play. And it was as simple as, instead of a character saying, he's really got a hold of you, he's really got his claws into you. It's just, again, giving the audience your theme in a sort of tricksy way without you spelling it out, what's going to happen. And by the end of that, if you're reading through and if you have a list of all your themes that you feel are really important for your play, just do a little sort of check list. How many times you hear that theme? How many times you hear that particular theme? And if it's too little, all it takes is a simple word change here or there. Just be inventive with it. Now, the third thing on this is how your characters interact with each other. Now, as a basic thing for early playwrights, I would say that the, there's a tendency to sort of, uh, between a back and forth of characters say, you said this, I said that, you said this. And it gets a bit oofed. Here's a wee way to sort of reinvent. Start your sentence with either a noun 
and then the next person an adjective and the next person a verb. Or have an I, have a question, and then have a completely different like ball throw in their throw ball. No, that's not the word. You get what I mean. If you change up the starts of your sentences, it again just lifts your play. It just rejuvenates it and, and gives it more depth for the audience's ear. Now we've started we've talked about the start of sentences. This also applies to the end of a sentence. You want the end of a sentence to really be the most important word. What's the most important word in there? That is the word with the most wit. Make that the end because that's the last word from that character that the audience is going to hear. Part five, the science of characters. The science of characters. Now, if we were to think of two magnets, sometimes magnets go whoop and sometimes magnets go whoop. That's kind of what we're looking for on stage. If you think of two characters that just repel each other, that's really interesting to watch. If you think of two characters that are very much attracted to each other and kind of like bounce off each other, that is again, interesting to watch. It's entertaining as an audience. A step up from that is, let me take you back to the periodic table of elements. Now, if you guys remember chemistry, I don't know if you remember doing the thing you had this and you just sprinkled on a tiny little thing and it went like right on fire. And some of it was quite explosive. Some of it, God damn near dangerous, but you know, you're 14, so whatever. That's kind of, again, what we're looking for with our characters. If you've got someone who's quite repressed or neutral or quite, they're not very reactionary, chop in that character who is an element that is gonna make them explode chuck in a character that's gonna make them melt check in different characters that they're gonna react to you want oppositions in there you want explosions in there you want dynamics in there if you think of the periodic table of elements with your characters you can unlock so many different reactions. If you've got just like sort of two neutral elements and you throw them together, it's not gonna be very interesting to watch. We in science lessons sat there and went, eh, the same can be said of theater. We want to be excited. We want to be entertained. On that, the sort of third point of this, of sort of characters, the science of characters, think about the elements of the situation. I'm talking about the outer elements now. I'm talking about weather. Think of the atmosphere, the elements that you're putting your characters into. Because if you think of how you are on a rainy day, if it's pushing it down with rain, that completely changes the dynamics that you have with people. If it's a really warm day, people get a wee bit more raging easily people lose their temper a bit more if it's snowing you're freezing cold everything's going to be a bit more restricted and a wee bit more sharp really look at the atmosphere that you're setting your characters up in because that in terms of biology changes us and that 
can be another thing that you can do. If you're a bit stuck on a play, just chuck in what the weather's doing outside and you can unlock a lot with your characters. Part six, redrafts as experiments. Now, I know myself, I find redrafts quite daunting sometimes. You sort of land at the end of your play and go, ah, here you go. And you get it back and you go, oh my God, I hate myself. Why have I done this? That was so, so foolish. We have to get rid of that mentality because that mentality is not healthy for us. We need to start looking at redrafts as experiments. Now, when scientists are doing this experiment and that experiment and this experiment, they're not sat there on number one going, oh, I've got it, I've cracked it. No, I haven't, because they're gonna do an experiment like 120 million times to re reach the result that they wanted to. The same is true of plays. If you're beating yourself over a redraft, don't do it, it's an experiment. You're experimenting what will happen with your characters in their situation. And that's important to remember because you shouldn't beat yourself up too much between one draft and the next. With every redraft, introduce a new thing, I would say. Introduce a new thing and see what that does to the characters. Now, that, in terms of the equations of a redraft, introducing a new thing might make it all completely fall apart. Introducing a new thing might completely unlock it. Introducing a new thing might give you a nice little pepper of something that is not really necessary. But the more that you do these experiments, the more that you get to know your characters, the more that you get to know your world. And that's how you'll present your final play. Part seven, final tips. So thanks for coming to my science lesson. I hope that you guys got a lot out of it. I hope that you guys can sort of look at your scripts, look at your drafts and go, oh, oh, I can, that's how I can get my theme in. Or that character needs to be a bit more this and I can utilize, or the length, oh, my exciting incident isn't a page tenor. I've had it all the way at page 40. I'll take that back. I hope that uh, that has given you some more tools, a wee bit more of a toolkit, um, not just a passionate artistic toolkit to work from as you go forward in your beautiful writing. Now, here are just some final tips that I've sort of picked up over the years that I think will help. Basically, go big or go home. We've seen all the plays with people sitting down. Yes, Chekhov did it very well. People sitting down and discussing the thing, that's the thing. And I was discussing, isn't it a shame about the thing? We don't really need any more of those. I'd say, if you've got a bold idea, go for the bold idea. We need more of that in theatre. We've got the cinema and TV to compete with now, fellas. Like, we need to be like, yes, theatre, be bonkers. Number two on that, I've just said fellas. Shouldn't have said fellas, that wasn't inclusive. But everyone says fellas, I'm from Ireland. Number two, do not write a play full of men for the stage. We are so bored of plays full of men on the stage. I do not want to sit down and watch, oh, there's one straight white man, there's another straight white man. Oh, there's a third straight white man. Oh, this is it. Oh, this is the play. Great, we're bored of it now. There are a million and one different types of human beings to 
base your plays off of. Number three, trust your own rhythms. Everyone has an internal rhythm. And if you write that internal rhythm on a page, your audience will come together as an internal rhythm, have the same heartbeat and be with your play. If you write with your own rhythms, and I mean, it does take, it takes time to find out what it is. I know myself, I emulated a lot of playwrights, like uh, I, I emulated uh, Samuel Beckett for a very, 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 very long time. And that sort of got me in a rhythm and then I broke away from that and I started finding my own rhythm. That's what you can do as well. Trust your rhythms, they're there. Trust yourself. And thank you for listening to my workshop. I hope that this has been enlightening for people and just stay safe and stay sane and give loads of kindness out into the world and really, really best of luck if you're applying to the Young Writers Programme. You can watch or listen to all available open submissions workshops on our website. For more information and to support our talent development work, please see the Support Us page on our website. Every donation makes a huge difference. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to join us next Wednesday for Claire Duffy's workshop on writing dialogue. Until then, get writing and good luck.